0: Hey True North, welcome to the second episode of our study through the letters of John. My name is Eugene, excited to have you here. Hopefully there's a Bible in front of you. If you don't have one, I encourage you to get one or even just on your phone just to pull that up. But just to kind of give a quick recap, we're studying through the letters of John in hopes to get just a better understanding of John as an author as we're kind of in the middle of a sermon series through the Gospel of John. And just to give you a quick background, just a reminder from our last episode, uh, the letters of John are what we call epistles, and those are letters specifically written to churches for a specific purpose. So 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, as we're about to study, they're all centered on John trying to defend his own account of who Jesus is and the truth in his gospel to what we call secessionists in that time. Basically, they're people who said, hey, Jesus is cool. There's parts of them that we agree with, but there are also parts of them that we don't. So 1 John is kind of a, a, a warning diss track uh, against these people and also an encouragement to the church. And we're gonna, what I'm going to hope to have you do in a little bit is to read on your own for a couple of minutes, pray, take some notes. But before you do, just to kind of give a deeper background... Just to understand what you're reading, John is writing to a community where there's considerable disunity. So these these secessionists, and actually take a bigger step back, you have to realize in the early church, it was a very tight-knit group of people. Right, to be a Christian in this time usually meant if you're a Jew and you're a Christian, your whole history, your whole family, your whole friends, you're probably risking isolation and alienation from them. And if you're not a Jew, uh, you're risking a a weird eye from Jewish Christians, but also your Gentile friends and those who just worship the gods of the time also looking at you a little bit weirdly. So the church was a very, very tight-knit group during this time, as it should be. But there's a lot of disunity because these heretics or these secessionists are kind of taking over, spreading different heresies. Now, we don't know exactly what these heresies are but we do know it was significant enough for john to write these letters in response after the gospel of john and these small factions have broken out their severe theological disagreements so just kind of keep that in your head and what i would invite you to do is this uh pull out first john and what i would ask you to do is we're going to read verses one to seven and kind of study that in the bulk of this episode so i invite you to do this before you read Hopefully, if you're, if you're driving, hey, keep driving and do your thing. But if you're by yourself and there's a desk, even if there's kids with you or your friends are with you, whatever it may be, before you read, just take a moment of silence, inviting God to speak to you in this time. One thing that I do is uh, I try and do what I call a centering prayer. All that means is I have one phrase and I just repeat it. So for me, I say, Lord, I'm present. Anchor me in your in your presence and i just repeat that just just to kind of get my mind going it's not a magical incantation it doesn't you know teleport me to god's presence but it does help me focus on just reading his word and getting my mind to slow down before after you that i invite you to read first john one to seven two or three times and, and just as you read it see what sticks out to you see what doesn't see if you have questions Read it two or three times, and if you have a notepad or just, you know, notes on your iPhone, and if you have Android, I I don't know what it is, but whatever you have, uh, just kind of jot down thoughts you have, questions you have, and anything you feel like your heart's being stirred to. So take a couple of minutes to do that. You can press pause on this podcast, and whenever you're ready, come back, press play, and I'll share my own thoughts and questions for us. All right, welcome back. Hopefully that was a, a restful experience. Hopefully you got to glean something from that reading of verses 1 to 7 of First John 1. And hey, if you have any questions that aren't answered from the study, uh, feel free to DM me at any time, anything that came up or you feel like it wasn't answered, or you can Google that too, whatever may please you. But what I want to do is break this down into two sections. So I'm going to kind of focus on verses 1 to 4 first, And then verses 5-7. to How I usually lead studies in person is I'll kind of first just describe or note things that are interesting just from the text that maybe with a plain eye you wouldn't be able to notice. And then from that, what are implications for us today? So let me do this. I'm going to read verses 1-2 to and kind of just let's flesh out the first half of this beginning. I'm going to read out of the ESV. So this is what John writes to us in the beginning of 1 John that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the father and was made manifest to us so a couple things i think one thing that sticks out is most epistles especially letters written by paul not john Uh, They're very letterish in the beginning. So what I mean by that is if you write a letter, you write, Hey, dear John Doe, hope you're well, hope you're doing this or that, greetings and salutations. But John kind of just, boom, right off the bat, uh, just goes straight into what he wants to get at. And I kind of noted this in the previous episode, but this beginning should, if you've been following our sermon series, kind of strike a similarity with the Gospel of John. John chapter 1 is very similar. Let me try and pull this up for us. Again, this is the ESV, but this is what John writes in John 1, the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So, very similar, and not just verses 1-2, to but if you remember what you just read, verses 1-7 to of 1 John, it's basically the same points being fleshed out. And not just the beginning of the Gospel of John, but if you remember, the ending of the Gospel of John is, I write to you this book so that you may see, the purpose of this book is that you may see that Jesus is Christ, he's the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you may have eternal life. So, what John is doing is it's a, it's a complete throwback, right, to the gospel of John. And, and why is he doing this? Well, in my mind, he's trying to emphasize, look, the secessionists in the time, they're basically taking you away from the full concept of who Jesus is. And the one concept that John seems to be really pressing in the beginning is the incarnation, that the incarnation of Jesus is central. So what does that mean? If you read 1st John, it's the idea of the word of life becoming manifest, becoming flesh, right? So in 1st John what we see is from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, we've looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So this word that John's implying has become flesh. Right? And what John's saying here is like I've I've seen this, I've heard this, I've touched this and Ultimately, what John is getting at is that this word is Jesus. Even harking back to the Gospel of John, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh. So that is basically the concept of incarnation, that Jesus, as fully God, also becomes fully man, that he becomes flesh. And that is so important for us to understand. Without that... So much of Christianity, so much of the gospel, will fall apart. It's it's such a central part of our belief of who Jesus is, because what that is telling us is that we have a God, unlike any other god or goddesses or myths in the world. Um, usually, if you if you look at any of the religion uh, of any time, it's always human beings looking up in worship, always trying to get to Olympus or to get to heaven. Or to do something, to sacrifice something so that they can achieve, hopefully through their righteousness or through their sacrifice or through their worship, attain the level of becoming or entering the presence of a deity or a God. But in Christianity, it's the only religion where God comes down and becomes flesh, becomes man. We have a God who enters into our world. These are it's, this is important for a variety of reasons, right? But one of the most important reasons that I think John's trying to get at is we can't split up Jesus as just his teachings and his ideas from his personhood. We can't split up Jesus' ideas and teachings from his personhood. And what that means is, and I guess this is an implication for us, right, just from the beginning. what, what Why does it matter that the life was made manifest and that john saw it and what he's saying is look in christianity it's not just ideas it's not just theological statements Uh, we have a god and a savior who became flesh jesus and that's really important because so often i think christianity can be reduced to just ideas right even uh you know new age religions or kind of i don't know i don't want to stereotype but just hipster people uh they they love jesus as an idea and a teacher but not that he was actual human being and that what he said and what he did mattered uh so you have to understand the incarnation is extremely important but moving forward uh verse three how does john continue this so in first john verse uh chapter one verse three this he continues his writings by saying this that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So to give kind of a a, a bird's eye view from the intro of this letter, he's basically emphasizing just the theological statements from the Gospel of John. The idea that Jesus became man, he became flesh. He's a real person. And I saw him, you know, John saying, I saw him, I lived with him, I heard him, I seen him, I touched him. And he is word become flesh. And what that matters for us, what John is saying in the the latter half of this intro, verse three to four, is that belief in him, just like the incarnation, must become flesh in our own relational lives. Right? So in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we, and John's saying, like, you know, the disciples that live with him, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. This idea of community. So in the Greek, that word fellowship is koinonia, and the, the idea of being a tight knit community. Um, koinonia can also mean church in other ways. But what John's trying to get at is that belief in Jesus must be lead to a relational change not just a theological change in your life that to believe in jesus is to enter into a community it's to allow your beliefs to become flesh in your relationships and not just horizontally with people but john also says so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ and i think this is really important this might sound elementary but you know john's emphasizing this for a reason What he's saying is this, you know, I've been harking on the incarnation is really important that Jesus became flesh and it's important for us because it also is an opportunity. It's an invitation to have a personal relationship with God. And, you know, you hear that like, oh, hey, is Jesus your personal Lord and Savior? And it's a little bit meme, it's a little bit churchified, but I think there's an element of awe of that idea that is lost, that in Christianity... What it tells you, what it invites you to have, is a personal, embodied, incarnational, a flesh, a real relationship with God. That it's not just incantations, it's not just prayers, it's not just rituals that we do, but it's a fellowship, it's a relationship, not just with the people that God has left us with, but with Him Himself. And He writes that by, and John ends this by saying, when we have this community, both horizontally with others and vertically with the Father and with Jesus through the Spirit, our joy is complete. That so often for a lot of us we search for joy in so many different ways, and not that the church brings perfect joy, but there's an element of joy that is only found outside of yourself. That joy is ultimately found in relationships with those around you, and with a personal relationship with God. So that's kind of the beginning of verses 1 to 4. But now, to end off, let's jump into the last half, verses 5 to 7. So again, I'm going to read out of the ESV, so you can follow along in your Bible to just listen right here. John continues his letter by saying this. This is the message we have heard from him, Jesus, and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, well, we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So from these verses, what are some things that first stick out to me as I read them? Well, one, this is the beginning of kind of the the thesis statement of the first half of first john that god is light and that later on john will make the emphasis that god is love but let's just focus on god is light that's kind of the main point of the first half of first john why does he make that point well one the idea of god being light is an old testament concept right so in exodus 3 the first time a human being moses in this case uh experiences God outside of the garden of eden is through fire the idea of this burning bush that's a fire and it's a fire that doesn't consume the bush but it's always lit so the idea that it doesn't have to require fuel which okay that's a whole other story but anyways this idea that god being fire and even in exodus later on god's presence is as a fire to illuminate the way for israelites to travel in the desert it, it's it's the idea that God, as light, is not just inherent of who He is, but through that we can find guidance for our own lives. And even in the tabernacle, when it's erected, God's presence is signaled with fire. Fire brings light, and so God is described, therefore, as light. And even the Psalms it says God is wrapped Himself in light. Uh, sorry, God wraps Himself in light as with a garment in Psalm 104. So the whole idea in the Old Testament is just heavy that God is light. So it's interesting that John's kind of harking back but also John's just also referencing his own gospel right if you remember in chapter one of just the gospel of John uh, the whole one of the main things is that Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness and even later in the gospel of John chapter 8 Jesus says I am the light of the world so what what is kind of you know the main point of this is that We're forgetting, or at least John's main emphasis is that we are forgetting that to believe in Jesus is to believe that he is bringing light into this world. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. So what is he saying? He's basically saying the practical implication of that is that if Jesus is bringing light to us and we still live in darkness, and darkness in this case is just sin, we lie, we do not practice truth, then ultimately, we don't have full belief in him. Verse 7, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' son cleanses us from all sin. So John emphasis here is this idea that a lot of the people in this time, in this church, from what most scholars can kind of preclude to, they're not sure exactly what these secessionists or these heretics were saying about Jesus. But one thing that was probably being taught was that, hey, even if you believe in Jesus, you can do whatever you want. Like, you you, you can sin. It's okay. There's, there's certain areas that we can do this. But John's kind of taking a really hard stance of, hey, if you are a Christian, if you are a disciple, if you are part of a church, you have to fully submit your life to be in the light of God. That's why Jesus came to cleanse us. So practically, right? What does that mean for us? Because it's like, oh, I, I've heard that before. But I think there's some really interesting things implication-wise for us uh, as we kind of close off this study. And it's this idea that, look, we all know, <laughs> if, even if you didn't grow up in the church, it's this hearkened idea that, hey, if you're a Christian, you know, don't sin. And oftentimes, incorrectly, that can mean, oh, hey, don't cuss, don't do drugs, don't have premarital sex, and you're fine. But it's a whole host of things, right? It's to basically to not sin is to make sure that we keep God first among all of the other things that we worship in our hearts and that we love our neighbor as ourselves. But it's interesting the implications that John gives us here. It's very communal because it says, you know, and remember this right before in verse three, he's saying, hey, if you believe in Jesus, it's so that you can enter fellowship with people and with God. And then he says, hey, believe that God is light and in him is no darkness. And if we say that we have fellowship with him when we walk in darkness, we lie. But if we walk in light, we have fellowship with one another. It's interesting. What John's saying is it's not only God is concerned with your own purity for your own sake. But if you're not walking in the light, and, and this is the thing. John is not prescribing to us some moral perfection that we're supposed to have right because he's even and, and later on the next study what we'll say is he's asking us to confess our sins but what john is asking us to do is not for moral perfection but to live and walk in the light and what that means is to be transparent and vulnerable with our weaknesses and our sins It's only in darkness that we hide our sins. And what John is implying is also in the darkness, it's not just that you're hiding your own sin, but you're never able to experience true community, true fellowship, and a true church. Walking in light brings us into community and also forgiveness. It's hand in hand. What I mean by that is this. It's only in community we can find true forgiveness And it's only when we learn true forgiveness that we'll be drawn to community. It's interesting to me because, uh, I'll be frank, uh, a large, vast majority of our church is Asian American. And even as I say, this this applies to anyone. Uh, But usually, Asian Americans, and even in my own upbringing as a Korean American, uh, I've been taught really well to hide my weaknesses to hide my sins not to bring dishonor to my family and and there's an honorable aspect to that right you shouldn't be blurbing out like whatever you've done all the time to people but there's also this aspect of at least at true north i think we've got really really good at hiding our true selves not just to other people but even to ourselves that we never walk in light to be fully exposed to our mistakes, to our weaknesses, to our shortcomings, because we're scared of what we'll see. And you see, what John is inviting us into, it's not this moral perfection. It's not this, hey, you know, make sure you never mess up. It's not that culture, but it's this idea of coming to grips. of If you come to the light, right, you're going to be fully exposed to who you are. And what John is inviting us into as a community, as a church, is can you do that not only with you and God, but with those around you? Can you find time to walk in light and to expose, to be vulnerable, to share your shortcomings, to share where you're struggling, to share whatever's going on? That's what it means to walk in light and not in darkness. So hopefully that was helpful and one reflection I would ask you to do, and if you already have something of your own, that's totally fine. But if you don't, I wonder one thing that we can ask ourselves is this. Are we walking in light or are we walking in darkness? And again, that question does not mean how perfect have you been or how sinless have you been? The greater question is how transparent and vulnerable have we been with our mistakes, shortcomings, our weaknesses? Do we share them with those around us? And ultimately, do we also share them with God? Because if we do, that's when we'll find true community. So hope that was helpful. Uh, If you have any other thoughts you want to jot down from that study, go ahead. If you have any questions from the readings still, please feel free to email me or DM me. But hope that was helpful. That's kind of the rhythm that we want to do this with. And next week, what we'll try and do is finish chapter one and go through chapter two, which will be a little longer. So if you have time just to kind of prep that, I would skim it through before our next episode. But outside of that, hope that was helpful. Hope that was a blessing. And I'll hope to see you on this Sunday as well.